0: Hello, and welcome back to the Braxton Ranch Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Gidding. I hope you enjoyed your holiday hiatus. I know I sure did. Last time we met was Chapter 7, French Demons. This time, Chapter 8, Hitting Hard. So let's go get that campfire started, and we'll nestle in for a good story. The Kings of Braxton Born unto Trouble CHAPTER eight Hitting Hard one Sam and Neil stood behind the row of bushes that lined the back of the parking lot at the borough inn. It was early morning, and they were accompanied by Junior, John, Marcus, and nearly the entire Braxton Police Department. The kings were wearing their usual four guns apiece and were also holding Thompsons. Junior wielded a large shotgun, as did John and Marcus. The officers were armed as well, some with shotguns and some with pistols. The low sun cast long shadows across the parking lot and the group of men standing ready. They waited for a sign of movement and instruction from the kings. You sure about this? Junior asked the brothers. No, not even a little bit. But we didn't want to take a risk, Neil replied. Sam looked over the waiting officers and noticed that they all seemed like they were ready for the fight of their lives. Most of these men were born and raised in Braxton and were just as passionate as the brothers about keeping the town safe. He noticed Nathan Sheets standing with his shotgun. "'You think we're outgunned, Officer Sheets?' Sam asked. "'No, sir. We'll have the element of surprise, and we're the good guys.' Sam smiled and turned back around. "'I think that says it all, Junior,' Sam said. "'Sam and I will take the conference room with Sheets, "'and the rest of your men should spread out and take the rooms and front office.' "'We'll wait for Sam's signal to go and to breach,' Neil said. "'It looks pretty quiet, but we're ready when you are,' Junior said as he lifted his shotgun. Tensions grew as the anticipation heightened among the men. Sam didn't want to rush into anything. He stood motionless and waited. He reached over and rubbed his shoulder. "'Your stitches bugging you?' Neil asked. Sam looked at Neil and smiled as he raised his hand. That was the signal they were waiting for. The group of men crossed over the bushes, through the parking lot, and went to their spots as quietly as possible. Once in position, they waited for the second signal from Sam, who raised his hand once again. With thunderous screams, the men breached the doors. Sam and Neil kicked open the double doors to the conference hall and ran in with guns raised and ready. They stopped and looked around with guns still raised. The room was empty. Sam turned to Neil and lowered his weapon. The two looked at each other for a moment, then ran out of the door and looked around. They saw the officers coming out of the rooms confused and looking to them for answers. All of the rooms were empty, with no sign of any recent activity. Junior walked over to the brothers with Marcus. I don't get it, he said. Junior looked disappointed, but not that nothing was found. It was more of a look of disappointment in the brothers, thinking he had just wasted department resources on nothing, and he had so few resources to spare. Junior walked closer to the King's with his head hung low. I don't get it, guys. Well, we said we weren't too sure about it. More of a hunch, Sam replied as he turned and looked around the parking lot. It just made sense to us they would be here, Neil began. Why else would that Jasper have a box of matches from this place? It's been shut down for quite a while. "'Hey, guys!' John yelled as he ran out of the front office. The group of officers turned and looked at John as they drew their weapons, expecting to see trouble. John raced to the three men. "'Whoa! Lower the guns! I found something!' he gasped, catching his breath. John handed Neil a photo he had found in the office. Neil looked at it and showed it to Junior. It was Liz. Liz. ...tied up, gagged, and blindfolded. Now, Sam... ...just relax and breathe, Neil said calmly. Why? What the hell is that? Sam snatched the photo from Neil's hand and looked at it. His face turned red and he clenched his jaw so tight... ...Neil could hear the joint pop and his teeth grind. Sam walked away from the group of men and out to the center of the parking lot. Anger and uncontrollable rage coursed through his body as he stared at the picture. She was helpless. Her tear-soaked blindfold was too tight, as were the gag and the ropes that bound her hands and feet to the wooden chair. A trickle of blood ran down one side of her face and was absorbed by her white shirt. Her bare feet were covered in dirt and scratches. The officer stared at Sam, not knowing what was on the photo. When Nathan took a step forward, Sam caught sight of him. "'You search every inch of this hellhole. "'Then you search every inch of this town, county, and state. "'Find me something, anything, that ties this to the German's identity. "'I want him fucking dead!' "'Dead!' Sam bellowed. Nathan turned around and walked back to one of the rooms, as did the other officers. Neil and Junior approached Sam cautiously. "'Sam?' Junior started. Sam cut him off. "'What the hell is this, huh? "'What the fuck is this but proof that we're being played?' Sam stormed off to the edge of the parking lot, and sat on a boulder near the street. Junior went to follow him, but Neil stopped him. You haven't learned yet. After all we've been through, to leave him alone when he gets like this. Junior thought for a moment, before walking back to help his officers search the building. Neil went toward Sam, but kept out of reach. Sam had a tendency to lash out when he got this mad. We'll take care of this, little brother. Sam pulled out his pipe and tobacco pouch. This was definitely a message. A message from me. This is all my fault. He said as he placed a pinch of tobacco in his pipe. How do you figure? Neil asked. When we left Liz's place, you mentioned seeing a car drive by slowly then speed off when they spotted you. I insisted that we go see her, hence, this is all my damn fault. If you think this has to do with that car, look at it this way. They were headed there, but we scared them off. They went back later. You can't always go around blaming yourself for every bad event we encounter, Neil explained. Whatever the case... She was taken to get to me. My fault either way, Sam replied. The brothers talked for some time as the officers searched the inn and found nothing of any use. Two. Sam sat on the front porch of his house by the creek later that evening. The sun was making its way to the horizon, casting a warm glow over the family farm which the brothers had neglected and left to the farmhands. He was sitting in a sturdy chair near his front door, holding the photo of Liz and smoking a cigar, his fedora in his lap. He mentally went over every battle from his past, every bad person he ever had to deal with, trying to find out who the German could be. Maybe it was an actual German, "'who tracked us down after the war and is now bent on revenge,' he thought to himself. "'There were plenty of Germans who had it out for the brothers, but could they really track them down?' "'Frankie Beerman was one name that came to mind. "'The troublemaker the brothers ran out of town after he and his father got into one too many bar fights, "'forcing them to move to Beverly, about thirteen miles from Braxton.' He had joined the army to prove he was just as tough as the next guy, and was never heard from again. Sam looked up and saw Neil and Al coming toward him. Al was limping along with his cane, and Neil was walking slowly by his uncle's side. As they got to Sam's porch, Al took a seat on the steps, and Neil stood nearby. The house felt strange without Carol. I had to get out, Neil explained. Is she far away? Sam asked Al. I told you I would get her out. And she's out, Al began. She wasn't too excited, but I convinced her it was for her own safety. Don't worry, boys. She's safe. Nobody could get to her where I took her, he assured them in his usual harsh rasp. "'Are you torturing yourself?' Neil asked as he noticed the photo in Sam's hand. "'I was just thinking that this German knows us. "'So I was trying to think of everyone in our past who might want revenge,' Sam replied. "'That's a lot of people, little brother. "'If that's your line of thinking, it's going to be hard to narrow it down. "'People we put away, kin of people we killed... The list is too long, Neil said. Frankie Biermann, Sam muttered. Frankie, Neil began. He's dead. Died over in France trying to prove something to himself. There's no way Frankie is the German. Nobody knows what happened to him over there. Just that he never returned. I'm just thinking out loud, but then... He was too much of a coward, Sam said. Is there anyone else who comes to mind? Neil asked. Sam looked at Neil solemnly. Little, he said. The family? Al balked. After all these years? Al exhaled loudly as Neil watched Sam looking at the photo of Liz. He leaned toward Sam and snatched the photo out of his hands. You don't need to torture yourself seeing her like that. You're thinking all crazy-like, he said as he tore the photo up and shoved the pieces into his pocket. You don't know what I need. What I need is to find this German and slaughter everyone he cares about, everyone he's ever cared about, Sam snapped. There was a moment of silence as... Sam tried to calm himself by putting on his fedora. Neil spoke up. Liz survived a kidnapping when she was young and was rescued by us. She survived the slaughter at Lefty's, only to be kidnapped again just a day after we talked to her. She is someone we have a past with. Someone who can be used as leverage. The German clearly knows who we are, and somehow, he also knew we were onto him at the inn. "'If this is the family of Little, then this is all my fault. And for that, I am sorry,' Al rasped somberly. "'Whatever the case, we might have a lead.' Junior called before I came over. The guys he caught by the jerky stand with the shine." He got one of them to talk, and... Did he give up the German? Sam interrupted. No, but he gave up a shipment of shine that's going to cross through town in a few days. We can block the road just before the junction near Betty's Curve with your car. They'll have no escape. Betty's Curve was a narrow spot in the highway a few miles out of town. On one side was a steep mountainside, and on the other... A 50-foot drop-off. It was called Betty's Curve because many years ago, Betty Hilliard went over the cliff in her wagon. Shortly after that, the road was paved and the guardrail was installed. It was the perfect place for the brothers to block the delivery. Do we trust this guy? Sam asked. Well, Junior said he had to beat it out of him. Sam adjusted his fedora as he stood. Neil helped Al up from the seat on the step. You boys need to be mindful of another trap. If you block the road with your car, you will be blocked in as well, Al cautioned. We'll take the necessary precautions. We'll plan for this to be a trap, and that way we will have the upper hand, Neil began. But we will not take my car. I would rather not get any more bullet holes in it, he said, looking at Neil. Sam went inside as Neil and Al slowly crossed the field toward the main house. All those years ago, I said I would take care of any family that came to avenge Little. I might have failed you boys. Al remarked. If it is them, then it's not your fault. Sam and I can take care of it. We killed him, and we'll kill anyone who comes looking for vengeance. Neil watched Al for a moment before continuing. How do we get through to Sam? Since the time that boy could walk... He was always running off to be alone. After your parents died, I thought he would be more open to me. I thought I would get closer to him and learn to figure out his patterns and his thoughts. But I was wrong. Al coughed and wiped his mouth. Sam is and always has been his own person. That's why he never found a wife like you did. He doesn't need anyone. He doesn't want anyone. I wish he would stop living in his head and join me here in the real world. He does live in the real world, Neil. More so than anyone else. That's why he's so closed off. Everything affects him deeply. Neil stopped walking and turned to Al. He keeps so much sorrow locked up inside. I'm afraid he's going to pop one day, Neil said. Now put his hand on Neil's shoulder. You know Sam better than anyone else. And you're right. He's on the edge of a cliff just waiting to be pushed over. When that date comes, he's going to need his family, his brother, more than ever. Sam has a rage inside of him, Neil. It's something he can't control. Something that began twenty years ago. I saw it that day he watched your father die. And I have watched it grow inside him ever since. He tries to hide it, but... He has an uncontrollable bloodlust that he won't be able to tame until he knows that... His job here on Earth is done, until he knows his true place. Al turned and continued to walk slowly. His rage is something I saw in others many times during the Indian Wars, on both sides. Heaven forbid his family were ever hurt. He would be unstoppable. Three. Betty's Curve ran along the mountainside 3 miles to the north of Braxton as part of Highway 60, which continued on further north. On the right side of the road was a small shoulder with rails barring a straight drop nearly 50 feet down to the bottom of a dry riverbed. On the left was a slightly larger shoulder and a sheer cliff face stretching 50 feet straight up. It was solid rock. The highway narrowed slightly through the curve, then widened back right before hitting a forested area. Before and after the curve, dense forests blocked most of the sunlight, but the curve itself was brightly lit in the afternoon. It was nearly noon on the day of the big moonshine delivery, and their brothers stood in front of a large tractor, placed sideways across the road as a heavy roadblock. Only a foot or two was open on either side of the tractor, just enough room for the brothers to fit through, if necessary. Neil and Sam were armed to the teeth and ready for any surprises. The sun was high, and the wind blew strong against the mountainside. In the distance, a low rumble began to grow louder. It was the delivery truck. Ready? Neil asked. Ready. Sam replied as the two took their positions on the other side of the tractor. A cargo truck came up the road, heading for the brothers. A canvas top covered the bed, and there were two men in the cab. The brakes squealed as it came to an abrupt stop. The brothers were out of sight, but could see the driver and his passenger clearly. That's gotta be one hell of a shine load in a truck that size. Neil whispered as he kept an eye on the men inside. I've got the driver, Sam said. He stood up to make himself known. He was holding a Thompson. Neil stood as well, holding a B.A.R. The two men in the cab opened their doors, and the driver tapped on the back of the cab before stepping out with guns at the ready. Neil and Sam saw the tap, ...and knew a fight was about to happen. Shit! Neil screamed as he fired, killing the passenger. The canvas top dropped to the ground, and ten heavily armed men jumped out of the truck, firing at the brothers. Sam shot the driver, who fell to the ground with a sloppy thud, then ducked behind the tractor. Sam and Neil fired in rapid bursts, trying not to waste their ammo as the gunmen shot back in steady streams of bullets. Son of a bitch! We were right! A trap! Sam yelled to Neil as they both reloaded while bullets flew around them, ricocheting off the tractor and the cliff face. Sam jumped out from the safety of the tractor and Neil followed. They ran straight for the group of gun-wielding men, rapidly firing their own weapons, and sending steaming shells raining down on the pavement. Neil took out two men on the left side of the truck, and Sam took out two more gunmen on the right. Then three more fell dead at Neil's hands, and the last three by Sam's. It was a quick and easy shootout. The gunmen were not well trained, and had missed the brothers with every shot. The brothers knew that the best way for the two men to take out a large group is to scare and confuse them. It had worked for them outside Colmar, and it just worked for them again. Sam walked over to a man who was badly injured, but still alive and trying to crawl away. He pulled out his revolver and pointed it at the injured man, who looked up at him. How did you know? Sam asked. He couldn't figure out how they knew he and his brother would be there waiting. The injured man said nothing, he merely coughed up blood. Sam jumped back as he saw himself as the wounded criminal laying on the ground. His pulse raced and his hands became sweaty. He took another step back as Neil walked around the truck and saw the man on the ground. Neil then turned to Sam, who looked as if he had just seen the devil himself. Without a thought, Neil pulled out his revolver and shot the man in the face, causing his head to nearly explode. Sam gasped and snapped out of his vision. He looked at Neil as he put his revolver back in its holster, then lowered his head and removed his fedora. He looked around for a moment before walking over to the tractor, where he took a seat on one of the front wheels. Neil stood by the truck and watched Sam wipe his face with the sleeve of his jacket. Are you okay, little brother? This was a trap, Sam said. Yes, Neil said, confused. You don't get it. This was their final solution. I don't understand you, little brother. What's going on? Sam put his fedora back on and pulled his pipe and tobacco pouch out. He began to load the pipe. With our past, how logical is it to send one lone gunman to kill us? Neil looked at Sam even more confused and rather concerned. We need to search everyone. Sam paused as he lit the pipe. The man sent to kill us was sent to die. Everyone knows that one man can't kill us. I searched him and found a matchbox that led us to the Burrow Inn, which was a trap to get our attention and to send a message. We were meant to find it, that's clear. I don't follow, Neil said, still puzzled. Whoever sent him knew that we would kill him find the matchbox, and go to the inn. They made us look foolish in front of Junior and the police force. And they left the photo to get to me. Then the guy in jail told Junior about this truck, which turned out to be a trap. Sam paused and looked at the dead men and the blood pooling on the road. He stood, his pipe pinched between his teeth. This was to be the final shot... The nail in our coffin. Everything led to this moment. This was the real trap all along. Everything was a game leading up to this. But they didn't really understand who they were dealing with. So, we're still alive. Neil looked around. He was beginning to understand what Sam was going on about. All the pieces fit, Neil. Do you not see... That this is our chance. This was to be our death. The German thinks we're dead. This is the turning point for us. Any clue we find here is a legitimate clue. Not a plant, not a game, not another trap. These men were sent to kill us. So whatever we find here could lead us to the German. And to Liz. Sam was getting excited. He knew the tide had just turned in their favor. Neil looked around for a moment before the pieces fell into place for him as well. Holy shit, little brother. You're a genius. It all makes sense now. Everything from the beginning was a setup to lead us to this moment, to this spot. Bingo! Sam yelled. The brothers began to search each body for anything that would help them. After each was searched, they were tossed over the cliff, to the dry riverbed below, to be eaten by nature in its due time. Sam piled everything they found into an old burlap sack that was draped over the tractor seat while Neil searched the truck. Then they placed it all in the back of the truck. Clearing the road for traffic, Sam drove the tractor and Neil drove the truck back to the farm. 4. Back at the King's farmhouse, Junior pulled up in front and got out of his car. He walked to the front porch and paused, then turned as he heard the loud roar of the tractor and the truck. He looked startled to see Sam and Neil as they got out and walked over to him. The sackful of clues they had gathered was slung over Sam's shoulder. "'What's wrong?' Neil asked. "'Nothing. I... "'I just thought you'd still be out with the... shine. Uh... I... I came by to see if Al, uh... was in,' Junior stammered. "'Something was off.' "'The truck was a trap. We need to speak with the guy who gave you the information. Just give us an hour or so,' Sam said, weary of Junior. "'Yeah, no problem. You guys need help with anything?' Junior offered as he stepped off the porch. No, but we might have something for you soon. We'll let Al know you stopped in, Neil replied. Junior looked at the sack, then at the truck. Okay, I'll go get that guy ready for you, he said as he returned to his car. Once inside, the brothers dumped everything on the floor of the sitting room and started to sift through it. There were wallets and cash and weapons and maps from the truck. Sam opened one of the wallets and a small folded piece of paper fell out. Neil opened it up and handed it to Sam after he took a glance. Address, Neil said. Sam took the paper and set it on a nearby side table. The two continued to sift through everything but found no further clues. Al limped into the room and stood near the doorway, eyeing the wallet's cash map and trash all over the floor. "'Glad to see you boys made it out alive. "'But if Carol saw this, she'd kill you,' Al remarked. "'Good thing she's out of town,' Neil said with a chuckle. "'Anything helpful?' Al asked. "'It was a trap.' "'It was meant to be our death,' Sam answered. "'Do they know you're alive?' Al asked. "'Nobody knows but you and Junior. "'He came by looking for you,' Neil said to Al. "'Why?' "'I don't know. "'But we're going to talk to the guy who gave Junior the information about the truck. "'And we found an address,' Neil said. "'Al stood for a moment, thinking over all the possibilities.' Then, looked like he was about to say something. What is it? Sam asked as he stood. Get over there now. Talk to him before they get to him, Al insisted hurriedly. Sam grabbed the address off the table, and he and Neil left the house without questioning Al. When Al said something, the boys listened. He was never wrong about anything. 5. The Braxton Jail was a small building with only three cells. In the front of the building was a small office with one door that led to the cells, one door that led to the locker room, and one that led to Junior's office. Sam and Neil walked into the building where they saw John standing behind the clerk's desk. Junior's been waiting for you. There's been a problem. Follow me, he's in the back, John said. The brothers followed John to the door leading to the cells. As they walked in, a nauseous wave of the smell of sweat, urine, and vomit hit them. The three cells were separated from each other by a brick wall, and the guy they were after was in the last cell. As they walked to the back, Sam glanced into the second cell, which held the man who hadn't squealed. This man gave Sam a look of fear and almost a warning of some sort that Sam couldn't quite figure out. At the last cell, they saw the body of the inmate face down on the floor, and Junior was standing over him. The inmate's skin had a slight blue color to it. Neil and Sam looked at each other briefly, before Neil stepped into the cell with Junior. Junior. Sam leaned back to look again into the other man's cell, where now the prisoner was up against the back wall, still looking frightened. He had something to say, but wouldn't. How could this happen, Junior? Neil asked. Junior looked at Neil, concerned, like he didn't know what to say. I don't know. I... I don't see how anyone could get in here. This place is staffed all day. "'I've been here all morning. Nobody came, nobody went out. "'No way somebody got by me,' John reported. Sam continued to stare at the man in the next cell, hoping to get some sort of answer from him. But he wasn't trying to communicate anything to Sam. He was clearly scared enough to keep whatever he knew to himself. Realizing he wouldn't get any answers from the man, Sam turned and walked out of the jailhouse.' Neo watched Sam walk away, but stayed. He looked around the cell for any signs that might lead to an answer, but saw nothing. John walked out after Sam. Once out in the front office, Sam stopped and turned to John. Explanation? Sam snapped. I'm sorry, Sam. I just don't got one. I'm telling you, there's no way somebody got past me, John protested. "'John felt awful for what had happened, but mostly for letting Sam and Neil down. "'I believe you, John. "'You have always been an honest man. "'But somehow, somebody got to him before we could. "'Somebody who knew we... "'Sam stopped abruptly. "'What is it?' John asked. "'Sam looked toward the back, then turned and left the jailhouse without another word.' Neil came out just in time to see Sam leaving. "'Where's he going?' he asked John, who only shrugged. Neil followed his brother. Six. Mayor Hartford sat at his office desk on the phone. Steve was in a wooden chair next to the desk, and Jake and Al sat in front of the desk. There was silence while the mayor listened to Sam on the other end of the phone. "'Well... It's hard all around. Don't hold it against him. I'm sure he's doing what he can. The mayor paused. Okay. Thanks for the update. We'll talk soon. The mayor hung up the phone and leaned back in his seat. There was silence as the men waited for the mayor to say something. After a few moments' reflection, the mayor explained what had happened at the jailhouse. "'Things are getting out of hand here,' he said. "'Ha! So the mighty kings are failing,' Jake said with a grin. "'No,' the mayor snapped. "'Give them some time,' Steve added. "'We seem to be running out of time, Steve. "'Things are getting worse. Businesses are shutting their doors. "'People are staying inside. "'People no longer stop here on their journeys. "'They just drive right on by.'" Did you really think they would have this wrapped up in a week? Steve asked Jake. The kings are failing. They've had their shot, Jake yelled. Put your hatred behind you, Jake. This is bigger than you, the mayor shouted, chastising him. Jake stood and stormed out of the office in a tiff, and the mayor reached into his desk drawer, pulled out a bottle of shine, and poured himself a drink. Then offered some to Al, who declined. "'What does Junior have to say about this?' Al asked. "'I haven't talked to him about this just yet, but overall, he's doing the best he can with what he has. "'People in town are frightened. "'Some businesses have closed down "'to prevent another slaughter like at Lefty's.' "'Jake was right about that,' "'Steve said as he poured himself a drink.' Suddenly the men heard gunfire outside the office. Al reached for his Colt M-1911 and drew it rapidly as the mayor pulled his pistol from the top drawer of the desk. Steve backed himself against a wall. Does everyone have a gun? Steve asked terrified. Nowadays, it's kind of needed, Al said as he forced himself to stand. Al walked to the window and pushed the curtain aside just enough to peek out. The mayor came up alongside Al at the window. You need to take it easy on that leg, old friend, the mayor said. Al ignored his comment and scanned the area outside. The gunfire continued in the distance and began to fade as if it was getting further away. Al returned his pistol to his holster and turned to the mayor. I've known you for a long time, Jackson. I know you trust me, and I trust my boys. Let them have this. They will find out everything and put a stop to this town's problem. You have to trust them, no matter what the outcome. The mayor returned to his desk and put his gun down next to the empty glass. That's what scares me, Al the outcome. Thank you very much for joining me this week. I hope you enjoyed Chapter 8, Hitting Hard. Join me next week for Chapter 9, Finding a Name. If you like what you're hearing, please share this show with others. Also, if you're interested, you can hop over to Amazon.com and buy The Kings of Braxton Born Under Trouble. And thank you very much for stopping by.